Welcome everyone to season three, episode 119 of the Premier Pod. I'm your host, Yashpika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. In this episode, we are in the finale of season three, the last one of the season of a very long, very long Premier League and, you know, Champions League, Europa League season. It's been a super long one filled with tons and tons of matches filled in a short time frame. But the day we're recording this, May 26th, is a Wednesday. It was actually the day of the Europa League final. And unfortunately, uh, my team, Manchester United, lost 11 to 10 on penalties. Yes, you heard that right. 11 to 10 on penalties. Um, so that meant the goalkeepers actually were the deciding factors where we saw... Um, Villarreal's goalkeeper scoring the winning goal and David De Gea unfortunately missing the last one and sealing United's fate of being runners-up for the Europa League. And it was a tough loss. I'm very, very sad. It was a, it was a tough day to record because, man, it was so close to a final and we and we lost. That was a tough one. To, it, was so, it was so tough. We were so close. We were so close and we lost. Oh. It was essentially like a three-hour final just watching <laughs> it from start to end. And it was it was a little rough for Yesh. I was kind of mentioning to him where he was like, man, is it worse to lose big, to get blown out in a final or to get so close in a penalty shootout where it gets all the way to the goalkeeper shooting and then losing then? And I was like, definitely the latter. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely losing in the penalty shootout, unfortunately, when it was so close, when all you needed to do was just score maybe one or two more penalties than the other team and then you get the dub. But I mean, it, it was really close throughout the entire game. And even... You know, Unai Emery for Villarreal, he played a really tough final where he literally just scored once and it's like, all right, I'm just going to park the bus. Just counterattack the entire <laughs> game. And he could even counterattack well most of the entire game. Yeah, it was pretty they bad. They scored from one set piece. Yeah. It was it was a, it was like they, they they had no initiative to go forward and they brought on they literally substituted their two fullbacks in the uh in the extra in the extra time and put on two new fullbacks. Uh they're club captain and then Alberto Moreno a former Liverpool player so Una Emery went full on defensive 4-4-2 like just basically set up his team in a straight up block and United struggled they they could not break him down Marcus Rashford didn't have the best of games Solskjaer didn't make his first substitution until the 89th minute and you know that kind of cost him but if you look at the bench there weren't too many impactful players you could really bring off the bench if we're being totally honest that have performed well this season so that probably had a lot to play with it but you know um ah, it's just a it's it's a tough one to lose because um this is the second cup final i've seen united lose since i've started supporting them the first one was under Mourinho in the fa cup final of 2017-18 um, against Chelsea, but this one hurt a lot because this is an, under a new regime of Solskjaer where he's building this new project and you have these new players coming in. You have like all the spirit, ambition, like it just seems like everything was going in the right direction. And I still think like positive momentum is there, but this final did show that there's still a lot of improvement needing to be done from from managers, from players and such. And, you know, it kind of shows that we still need to, you know, invest in the transfer market and bring in some new players if we want to continue improving and also get to a point where we can win uh win one of these trophies and get the job done and unfortunately it's just uh today showed that we are still lacking um some characters that we need and uh you know maybe it's also a sign of like Solskjaer needing to improve a little bit on his managerial side um but that will come because you know he's not a you know he's still learning on the job so uh, it, it's been it's been a very successful season, I would say overall. But this one definitely it, it hurts to end the season in this note of losing the final this way. Mm-hmm. 
I was telling Yush overall that Man U, they weren't even supposed to be in a Europa League final. Yeah. They were in the Champions League and then fell out the third place in their own group stage. And they ended up in the Europa League by accident. Mm-hmm. So they got a little lucky even getting to a final. Granted, it was Europa League, but in the end, you know, it was to no avail. It was just giving Villarreal their first major trophy win in their entire club history. Mm-hmm. And Alberto Moreno, of all players, gets a trophy himself. The former <laughs> Liverpool Samba boy, just who was there just to be Coutinho's friend. I know he looked <laughs> kind of old. He looked kind of old, but I guess he's old now because it's uh, been a, it's he's been aged. Yeah, he's aged. He's he, an aged man. He he finally Since got a his, decent haircut. He stopped with like the, <laughs> the little whatever this was called. Hey. He's still bad though. I saw him today just <laughs> miss some open opportunities, but sure enough, he still has a little bit of that pace. But I will also say too that, you know, Man U, they got second place in the in the Premier League. And they also had Bruno Fernandez do pretty well, but they really didn't need an Ole Gunn and Solskjaer to come off the bench to make an impact. Yeah. Make the, get that winning goal, or maybe just an extra center back, an extra piece of leadership to come in and slot in and kind of get everyone around it. Because besides Rashford doing the occasional, you know, s- sauce getting mm. through the Villarreal defense, or Mick Sauce himself, yeah, doing something it was, brutal, it just was like <laughs> as a brute, just like running through everyone. It there was wasn't tough. really too much coming out of it. Like Cavani, his goal even was scrappy, one. very scrappy. <laughs> it was like fifty shots within two two seconds. It's like all right, one of them finally went in. And I guess that's credit to uh, Villarreal for the way they set up, just setting up in a block and not, and you know not moving. And it's just unfortunate that uh, the same tactics that I would say won United the Europa League in 2016-17 were the same ones that you know ruin their chances of winning one this one where it's just the team went up early and just sat and just sat back and defended and defended and defended um and it's 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 going to be a big learning moment for you know the manager you know losing a cup final in this way but also for the players and such and i i don't know i'm just curious to see how uh how the players and how the managers bounce back from this and seeing where united go in the transfer market because there's definitely this final did show that there's still a lot of needs that need to be met such as um bringing in a another center back to partner along Maguire, another competent one, um, you know, having a, uh, a defensive midfielder you could trust, but also having a right winger that can create on the right side as well and not being so overly reliant on Marcus Rashford and Luke Shaw creating everything. So uh, this, this game definitely did show some of the deficiencies that United have in the squad. And hopefully we can see some investment in the summer for this team, but oh, this one was tough. Oh, this one was really tough. But before I get too uh too uh too sad about thinking about the final because i'll definitely be thinking about this one a lot after we record um last weekend was actually championship sunday the the complete conclusion of the premier league season which has been a very wild one because of project not project restart but because of the um the different timelines because of covid and essentially the season started i think what in september or was it september or late yeah it was a little later than usual yeah. And all the games were bunched up in like crazy windows. And we saw games being played, um, not in this, like we saw, we didn't see where we normally see where we see like seven or eight, 10, 10 a.m. Saturday noon games. Like we saw every game kind of have its own time slot. And that was just due to the scheduling where they had to fit everyone. And it was such a long season. It finally got wrapped up um, on Championship Sunday. And that meant we finally figured out who finished in the top four. It was. It ends up finishing a City, United, Liverpool, and Chelsea. I got close to Chelsea 
not making it. They actually did lose against Aston Villa, which I called, but unfortunately, Leicester kind of pooped the bed and were up 2-1 against Tottenham and then ended up losing somehow 4-2. How? And they let Gareth Bale score twice. In one of the Gareth Bale goals, he literally just ran straight. And that's all he did was just run right down (laughs) and scored. Um, So it was unfortunate that Leicester, again, choked up their chances of getting into the champion. Like, you couldn't call it. Like, they literally had, from last season, the same exact scenarios, win and you're in, and they choked it. And, oh, it was a a tough one to watch for Leicester City fans. Even though they did win the FA Cup final, it did bring a lot of questions about Brendan Rodgers, whether, you know, he's the guy to kind of get them to Champions League. But... Top four settled. Europa League, obviously Leicester get in there. And West Ham, you know, shout out to them finishing in a Europa League spot. And then the the new UEFA Europa Conference League is going to be held by Tottenham. Arsenal had a slim chance. If Tottenham would have lost, Arsenal would have actually gone into that spot. But because Tottenham somehow managed to pull out the win, Tottenham were there. And then the golden boot and top assist, assist maker. So the person with leading the assist in the Premier League actually went to Harry Kane. The third player in Premier League history to ever do that, which is pretty crazy. A pretty crazy stat to lead the league in goals and assists. And then the Golden Glove um, went to Ederson. Um, So, yeah, Championship Sunday, even though we didn't see the relegation battle, um, you know, a very exciting relegation battle or a champion being crowned, we did see all these European spots kind of settle in. And it it was a pretty exciting conclusion. I'm not going to lie. During, you know, just seeing like all the drama unfold of like, will Liverpool win? Will Leicester win? Will Chelsea lose? It was, it was definitely pretty fun to kind of keep your eyes on those three games. Cause those were the ones that had um, a lot of money in stake. I would say. Mm-hmm. Like watching those three teams, like Chelsea, Liverpool and Leicester, throughout that one championship Sunday, I was just constantly watching the table. I was like, all right, Leicester scored like a penalty. Like, all right, well now they're in the top four. And then, Liverpool score. I'm like, all right, thank goodness. All right, we got this. Like, everything is good to go. And then Chelsea concede a goal. I was like, oh. <laughs> I, was I, was like, like I, called I called it. I was like, it's happening. And then, like, Aston Villa just kept, like, putting their, like, their foot on the pedals. Like, we're not, we're not, we're not losing this. We're making sure Chelsea doesn't get anything from this. And I was like, I yes. I knew it, man. I knew let's it. Let's go, Aston Villa. That game was going to be tough. And I would say, I'm going to give myself credit there. I did call it, but unfortunately, I said that Leicester would have beaten Tottenham. And they had Tottenham on the ropes. Man, they just ruined their chances at the end. Literally, I make fun of Brandon Rodgers every single season for not being able to finish the season. And... <laughs> It happened again. Like literally on the final day, all oh. they had to do was just win. It was in their hands. They were two one up in the second half. They just had to hold on. And they they couldn't hold on. And then of all people, Gareth Bale runs in a straight line, like the most <laughs> direct. Like I feel like that tactic worked because no one thought any player would do that. It's like who <laughs> runs in a straight line and ends Bale. up getting through on goal. It's like Bale, and then it worked. But like Lester. They they literally had it in the bag. All they do was just not lose at that point or not mm. concede, and then they lose two four two to four. And it didn't help that um, like Fofana went out injured in the first half, so they they lost Johnny Evans in the FA Cup final, and then they lose Wesley Fofana, um, which was a big loss because Fofana has been like a key defender for them this season. But you know, injuries aside, that, those are just, that's just one of those games where you just got to get stuck in and like you just got to know as a team that hey, we park just, the bus. yeah, you can't lose. We just cannot lose this game, no matter what. Oh. Brendan Rodgers for you. <laughs> There's always a way for us to disappoint, at least in the Premier League. And also, on top of that, Tottenham they almost 
allowed Arsenal to finish above them. I know that'd Assuming be the first time was, in, in first time since I think the 2015-16 season. I think that's the last time. Yeah, it was like four years or something. It yeah. was insane, and I was like, "Oh wow, I didn't even realize that." But literally, they they wanted that Conference League entrance. They did not want Arsenal to get into this Europa Conference League, whatever this new league is. It was a brand new league to us too, at least. I was like, what the heck is this? <laughs> so, you know, Tottenham keep that streak alive. They snatch it from Arsenal and now they're going to be playing in the most random places in Eastern Europe. They're going to be playing in like farmlands. Like there's memes of the teams you face in this conference league of like, you know, those, you know, those memes of like a soccer field being put onto like a side of a mountain where it's like not even a level ground. It's just yeah. like, that's what you're like going to see there, like incline, a like or cow pasture. Yeah, or like a train going straight through <laughs> the field. Like literally it's going to be like games like that. But Tottenham wanted it. They wanted some part of Europe. They wanted Bama. And they here they it. go. They got, they got it. it. They got it. Oh man, it, it was a it was a pretty exciting end to the end of the season, and it was a it was kind of surreal when I when I when the Champions Sunday like Championship Sunday ended with City lifting the Premier League trophy. It's kind of surreal. I was like, man, this has been a very long season, very fun one, I would say, uh, but a very long one because you know, like we had mentioned, because of COVID, we didn't see multiple 10 a.m. Uh, 10 a.m. game windows we saw instead like each team kind of having their own specific window for games so we oftentimes saw a lot of like Sheffield versus West Brom <laughs> in the Sunday like uh, you know Saturday 12 30 hour whatever and you know throwing no shade there but you know there's only so much you can take of watching Sheffield in like a prime time slot <laughs> every, <laughs> every weekend so it'll be nice to kind of see the Premier League kind of go back to their normal schedule of uh, multiple 10 a.m. windows, you know, having the Sunday games um, and things like that. So that way we can, uh, I think it was best put as this, like sometimes too much of a good thing um, can kind of oversaturate it. And I think that's what we ended up getting this season because of COVID, where we saw the opportunity to watch every single Premier League game with like no interruptions. And we were just like, dang, sometimes uh, there's a reason that some of these games get buried in the 10 a.m. window. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of like it though. I kind of like it. Really? It's like, because there were some weekends where it's like, man, Chelsea, Arsenal, and then like Man U, Liverpool, like same time slot. I'm like, all right, who did this? <laughs> <laughs> Come on now. Like that happened occasionally. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, all right, well, this, or at least this year, that never happened. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah, it'd get put at 7 a.m. instead, but uh, at least it wasn't at the same time as another game. So yeah. that's just my take too. And yeah. I also just personally did not like when. You're watching a game and then they put in like the top right corner of the screen. It's like, oh, this is the score of the other game, by the way, that you're not watching. (laughs) I did not did not want to know that. It's like, oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I guess that's just that's just a me thing. Todd's gone the gone the other way. But um, it'll be nice to see the Premier League, the the Premier League kind of go back to a normal schedule next year. But this has been a a crazy season. And obviously, um, as we do for every other season, uh, we have a premier product awards. And, you know, if we had an, uh, if we were in an actual theater, this is part, this will be the part where the music starts playing. Uh, we throw in our tuxedos or our suits. Uh, we're wearing our jerseys, <laughs> oddly enough for this one. And we have our water bottles. Um, so no champagne or anything like that to celebrate, just our good old water. But um, to moving on to the awards, as we uh, typically do for every season, um, I guess the best one to start it off or the way we have it, um, I guess we'll start off with manager of the season. And for me and Tyler, we're actually sharing the same um, same manager for this award because, you know, we think he's probably been like the manager of the season. And that one will go, drum roll please, to 
David Moyes, um, the manager of West Ham, getting his club to finish um, sixth place um, in, in sixth position in the Premier League table. At one point, at one point, maybe a month out from the end of the season, they actually had a legitimate chance of finishing in the top four. Unfortunately for them, kind of fumbled the bag a little bit. But um, given that West Ham were literally fighting a relegation battle last season or a couple of seasons ago, they were in a relegation scrap. To them, to be put in this position where they're now in a spot where they were challenging for top four and in Europa League is amazing. And David, uh, David Moyes has like takes should take all the credit for that because he's totally revolutionized the squad got rid of a lot of bad players like got rid of like the jack will shares and such um you know built up a really good partnership of uh declan rice and suchek and then you had the introduction of messi lingardino in the january transfer window that helped a lot then you have players like sufal um just so many players um step up during this entire season that have just made this club um, into this position, getting them back into Europe. And, you know, uh, kudos to David Moyes because that is a, a big turnaround for a club that had uh, basically been in relegation scraps ever since they moved to the new London Stadium. Mm-hmm. This is the first time you've seen those bubbles. It's actually like a good thing. <laughs> yeah. It's not like, oh, it's just sad bubbles. It's like, oh, it's actually good this time. <laughs> exactly. And also, I feel like this is the first time since David Moyes was the Man U manager ever since he took over for Sir Alex Ferguson that his career is starting to trend up yeah because like it's been bad yeah since his move from everton which was a decent career actually like i thought he did a pretty decent job at everton and then he that's how he even got that manchester united gig yeah like ever since then it's just been a a, not a steep decline but then he went to spain lost some legitimacy like sociedad right and then he went to sunderland got relegated and left the club after getting relegated he left the club after getting them relegated and then he went to west ham or no, he took over West Ham as a caretaker role, and they didn't end up. They did not re-sign him, and then they had um, Pellegrini. Pellegrini was there for a year and a half. Then they brought back David Moyes, and now he's obviously doing good things at uh, West Ham now. Mm-hmm. So this is it was like big props to David Moyes too. It's like he's finally kind of turned a new leaf, and now he's just back to doing a little bit better and actually fighting for a dark horse spot at one point for mm-hmm. even as we joked winning the title so <laughs> oh, yeah yeah but i mean top four being in there it was kind of like a sheffield united moment even from last season where it's just like how are they even there it's mm-hmm. like they were fighting relegation last season exactly Heck, they just they changed half their team at the january transfer window when they got rid of sebastian Haller and then brought in like messi lingardino and also uh Ben Rama and yeah, I was like oh Sadio Ben Rama or is it first name Sadio yeah but it's Ben Rama but yeah it's like Ben Rama I'm like wow they actually like changed up a lot just they just knew it's like all right it's not working out let's yeah. just switch to the front Mikel and then, Antonio the tank that just the the engine that keeps on running like guy Thomas the and train. yeah and then he literally he's a he's a baller too he's got I, I've always liked Mikel Antonio ever since uh I first saw him play for West Ham which was I think 2015-16 I've always been a fan of him because he always runs. Like he always mm-hmm. runs, no matter how bad the West Ham team was. Whenever he was in the side, he would always run. And unfortunately, um, because he always runs, he always ends up getting like hamstring injuries. But when he's fit, <laughs> he's a very, very fun. And I really, really enjoy watching him as a player because he just always runs, always runs. Mm-hmm. He plays with a lot of heart. Mm-hmm. And like David Moyes, I feel like really brought out the most of this team. He really brought out the potential of all these players because like Suchak, he came out of nowhere. Yeah, that guy like always scores. He's like the best defensive midfielder when it comes to scoring goals I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And then also he really 
kept the Declan Rice situation really well managed and controlled because there's been a lot of rumors of Declan Rice, you know, potentially making a, a summer transfer window move. And that kind of noise, that kind of distraction can really play on a player that's kind of younger and also has a huge price tag on him. And he's like, well, I'm just playing at West Ham. It's like, I should definitely move. But that kind of noise, that kind of distraction is like he really kept it down and really still brought out the most out of Declan Rice. Mm-hmm. And even like gave him the captain's man in some yeah. games. So like even kind of that kind of transition, maybe that'll help keep Declan at the club. Probably not. But like <laughs> those kind of moves yeah, it's a, are it's things good man that, management. Yeah, it's good man management. And also it's just, I feel like... This is a team that's set up to do something big next season. But I will say there is a slight thing we have to mention is that there were no fans. And usually the West Ham fans are known to be some of the most friendly fire, like, you know, yeah, they'll happy, turn. if you know what I mean. They, yeah. They'll turn on their own team because it's like kind of more hostile. So yeah. who knows how it's going to be next season. But at least for this season, you know, hats off to David Moyes for achieving a top six finish, a European finish being one of the best clubs in London above Tottenham and Arsenal yeah. as well. Now it was a really it was a really, really good season for David Moyes and West Ham. And you know, he definitely deserves manager of the season. There's definitely others that could have been on the short list, like Solskjaer or obviously Pep winning the title, um, you know, and a couple others, but for sure, uh, I think uh David Moyes definitely deserves this one. But moving on to our underrated player of the season. Um, it was actually funny. I think when I had this before, I think I had someone else and I think Tyler had someone else before yeah, I changed our, it too. Our, <laughs> our final selection, but I, I guess I'll start it off. Um, oddly enough, we picked, we both picked strikers, but obviously uh, two different players. Uh, for me, I picked Everton's Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Um, I picked him because I think this season he actually showed a little bit of like the quality he ha- he has as a goal scorer. And he was actually included in um, Garrett Southgate's provisional um, Euro 2020 squad. And I think because of this season, um, he's actually shown that he can be a viable striking, a uh, viable candidate to bring as a striker for the Euros. And, you know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, I think, um, you know, in terms of when you watch him play, it's not the silky, you know, very talented in terms of like, he's going to do all the tricks and all the skill moves to get past you. He's a very traditional classic striker of, he's not afraid to back up in front of a defender. He's not afraid to get his head, like hands dirty. He's not afraid to rough up some defenders and get his goal. Like he can score the heading goals. He can score with the finishes on his foot. Like he is a scrappy player at heart, but he also has a little bit of quality where he can find a pass. He can, you know, he can link up play and such. And I think this season he did win Premier League player of the month during the first month of the season, I believe. But um, I think a lot of the discussion when we mention Everton always seems to go to like James or his actually striking partner Richarlison where it's like Richarlison has like all the skills of a of a you know he has like all the skills and flair but he doesn't necessarily have the best finishing and Calvert-Lewin is the opposite where he has more of the finishing instincts and more of those natural tendencies as a striker but I feel like this season, even though he did win Premier League Player of the Month in the first season or the first month of the season, um, I felt like his name kind of got a little washed out a little bit at the end. And I, I feel like um, this Euros and hopefully next season, I think Ancelotti is getting the best out of him. And we're definitely going to be singing his name or be mentioning his name a lot um, going forward in the Premier League. I really think that Dominic Calvert-Lewin was a good pick as well, because at the very beginning of the season, he, he was also up. top goal scorer. Yeah, he blew up. Like, there's. He literally that was when Everton point, were top of the league. Yeah, like when <laughs> Everton and Aston Villa were, were top of the league, and it's like, what is happening this season? <laughs> like, this is a nightmare for a Liverpool fan. See Everton up there, potentially even talking about finishing above Liverpool. I was like, oh heck no. 
And, you know, David Calvert-Lewin, he could not be stopped. He was on a streak. I believe there's like a few games, like maybe 10 games in a row. Oh, yeah. I was, remember that where he was scoring like every game. It's crazy. Yeah, he basically was scoring every game. And like, I was, I was like, what the heck? Who, what got into him? <laughs> and he didn't really have like, you know, the skills of like a Richarlison, but he had the poacher's mentality. He had that ability to always be at the end of a cross or there to get a tap in. He just had that natural instinct and that's kind of rare you don't really see that too often and it's good to have more competition and we'll see if uh you know damakara lewin can do something for this england squad in the euros and can continue this form mm-hmm. into next season but for me i had my own pick i had an honorable mention because i did have this play originally it was mason mount but then i thought about it he got a tots a team of the season in fifa 21 <laughs> i was like right that's not really underrated he definitely got rated <laughs> literally got noticed for that so i was like probably not mason mount he's even getting put into mock starting 11s for the england squad for this upcoming summer yeah. too i was like all right probably not then so i switched it instead to patrick bamford of Leeds because he scored 17 goals and eight assists in the premier league this season it's a lot and he didn't make the euros yeah, he didn't crazy. make that england provisional squad i was like what the heck made what it over danny ings. Well, danny ings didn't make it either I, think oh, I he, thought he was in I the provisional. He got left out as well. And then, uh, like, there's some key players that are left out, but I believe Ings and Bamford were like key players that like, I left out. But I would say Bamford, he's a player that's kind of been on the radar for, like, you know, personally, me and Yush, because he was one of those up and coming players that was a youth player for a long time. It was like he was from Chelsea, he was on Middlesbrough for a little bit, yeah. and now he ended up on Leeds. And then he was like, oh, you always hear about Patrick Bamford. But he never really goes off. It's just like, oh, he's just yeah. has a lot of potential, but never lives up to it. But now this season, they he helped bring leads into the top ten kind of conversation within their first time yeah, being in the Premier the League. Like this is really cool to see. I was like, oh, Patrick Ramford is actually living up to it. And some of his finishes this season have been lethal. Mm-hmm. Like he literally would just run. It'd be like Gareth Bale. He just runs straight. Doesn't even hesitate. He's like, oh, I'm aiming top right corner from like the opposite side. That left foot, woo, just goes straight yeah. in. And like he has the ability also to help assist too. I was like, wow, this guy's kind of doing a little bit of everything. And that's a solid player for Leeds to have. And hopefully he kind of keeps that Leeds team kind of going because Rodrigo, we thought he would be the yeah. main I thought he striker was be for it. Leeds. But no, like Patrick Amford's also been keeping Rodrigo on the bench. Yeah. Who knows, maybe that Rodrigo miss at the very beginning of the season <laughs> that Bielsa maybe didn't forget has something to do with it too. But Patrick Bamford, I felt like, had at least some argument to maybe get into that provisional squad for the Euros, but he didn't even make it. Yeah. So I thought from kind of little things like that and also just not getting a tots. <laughs> Wait, no, he did get a tots, but yeah. it was like a community. Yeah. But so you know, I, he's I, kind of like the backup for everything. Yeah, no, I, I like that pick because I think... Um, Bamford, um, we saw a lot, even at Middlesbrough, like he couldn't score in the Premier League. His biggest thing was like he could score in the championship, but when it came to the Premier League, he just couldn't find a way to score. And when he was in Middlesbrough, he was not very good. So it's been pretty, I would say, amazing seeing his development this season in the Premier League, seeing how much of a player, how much more mature he's become and the the development he's had in these past couple seasons and working under Bielsa. Um, It's it's been nice seeing the... uh, Patrick Bamford and seeing him score a bunch of goals, a bunch of goals and his development. So I like that pick. I think that's a, a pretty solid pick there. But um, moving on to defender of the season, um, I'll start it off. I have, uh, I guess, I wouldn't say a very controversial pick. I feel like there is a very obvious answer 
that a lot of people would typically go for. But for me, I guess to keep it a little bit different, I'm actually going to go for Luke Shaw for Manchester United, the Manchester United left back. I feel like this season in particular has been a revolutionary season for him because going into this season, a lot of United fans, even myself, were calling on a replacement left back or getting a new starting left back. And that's why you saw United targeting Sergio Regulon. That deal didn't work out. And then finally getting Alex Telles. And I remember, or Telles, and I remember when we signed him, I was like, dude, this guy's going to be, he's going to be it. He's our new left back. And um, oddly enough, when that happened, we saw Luke Shaw basically increase or get better his performances started to get really better and he started to become a lot more assured of himself defensively he started to become much more of a better attacker going forward and he just had a very good balance between him and we saw those couple games where he was out that united sorely missed him on the left side as being that key defender and it just kind of showed the drop off from shaw to Telis. and i was just like man this is amazing what competition can do out of someone and how much you know, what competition can bring out of someone and making them better. And I think my favorite moment this season of Luke Shaw was when he scored and just literally ran down the line in the Manchester City, like the Manchester Derby, and scored against City. And it was like Luke Shaw scoring, that's so unheard of. And for me, um, he has to be defender of the season because I think he's just been such a solid left back and he's just been such a solid player for United that he just has to be there because he's just had an outstanding season. Mm Mm-hmm. I would definitely say Luke Shaw is part of the starting 11 for Premier League team of the season. Mm-hmm. Like he's definitely had a rejuvenating kind of season as well from going from the big kid on the block, yeah. the next big thing to fat Luke Shaw to now team of the season. Luke Shaw, just one of the best left backs, if not the best left back in the Premier League this season. And mm-hmm. for Alex Tellis as well, I was thinking he was one of the best rated left backs going into Manchester United. I was like, oh, wow, he's literally going to take over for Luke Shaw. But then Luke Shaw came out of nowhere and kind of showed him up. And maybe it had to do a little bit with Alex Tellez not being as good as we thought. (laughs) Maybe it was a little bit of that. But no, I think Luke Shaw definitely earned it. And that same goal you're talking about against Manchester City, I saw that and I was like, Luke Shaw scores? (laughs) I didn't know that. I was like, wow. So... You know, credit to Luke Shaw for having a rejuvenating season. Like that's a that's a big theme going on so far. We got David Moyes rejuvenating, Patrick, Patrick Bamford rejuvenating, Luke Shaw now, Luke <laughs> Shaw. But for me, my pick for my defender of the season is probably the more bandwagon pick. It's the more <laughs> common one, and it is Ruben Diaz, the center back for Manchester City. And I have to say straight up, he proved me wrong. I called him yeah. out in the first we, we episode. Both. We both did. Yeah, we we're both. Like, we're like, who's this man? <laughs> I thought it was older. Yeah. Like we, I just <laughs> yeah, hear his too. name all the time. He's like an 81 rated center back in FIFA like for the longest time. It's like, all right. Like, what's so special about him? Like on paper, you can't really tell. It was just not until you saw him on the pitch. He was very commanding. He was one of those players that Yosh constantly talks about that Manchester United needs. And also that you see in Van Dyke for Liverpool where he is a very you know commanding leader. He gets everyone aligned. He took Laporte and put him on the bench. That's, like, that's insane in itself. He like he, he just started turned Jan- John Stones into a, like a, like the almost I wouldn't say world class, but literally made his potential go back up again. Like he mm-hmm. literally turned John Stones into a really good defender again. Like he turned that Manchester City defense, that defense that cost basically over two hundred million pounds, into a, a defense that looks like it costs over two hundred million pounds, and not one that was just overpaid. Yeah, like this was rejuvenating. This was just completely 
revamping where it's just like it, it really brought out the potentials of everyone else. And they had 15 clean sheets when he played, which is also insane. But Ruben Diaz, like it really not too much argument for yeah that like he's literally he, he's like a culture changer. Oh, yeah. And that's something you don't really see too much on paper, but at least for this season, the stats also kind of correlated with how he played and what he brought to that Manchester City team. And it scares me because for Liverpool with Van Dyke and Joe Gomez, like that starting four in the back, usually you would see kind of similar numbers. But in the city, they ha- they kind of struggled without company being in that team. But now with Ruben Diaz being someone who's younger than me, yeah, being a part of that team now. And they can spend another probably a long time. On like a back line. <laughs> exactly. And like with Manchester City's unlimited war chest of a bank account it's like all right well now i'm really worried because that was one of their achilles heels for the longest time it's just can we fix that defense and now i feel like they finally did with Mm -hmm. just this one player yeah ruben diaz yeah so i i can't i can't argue with that pick like tyler said he's been such a good defender that you you you, to leave him out of this award would be uh would be audacious so he definitely was deserving of uh of this accolade but Moving on to, I guess, a more somber one, his most disappointing signing of the season. Um, essentially, biggest flop of the season. And for me, um, uh, a common theme, keep picking a bunch of Manchester United players. Trust me, I'm not not doing that on purpose. <laughs> but um, for me, it has to be Donny van de Beek. Um, this one was, when the signing did happen in the summer, I was like, dude, I'm so gassed. Like, this is going to be amazing. Like, the... Quality he can add with Pogba and Bruno in the midfield would be amazing. His goal scoring ability, his creativity, um, you know, he kind of has it all. He's a very smart technical player for Ajax. And I was really looking forward to him kind of kicking on and being a very good backup or being a very good like super sub almost off the bench. But this season, he has just uh, struggled to really acclimate himself into the Premier League. It could be one of those, you know, first season into the Premiership and, you know, you're kind of. I would say struggling to kind of acclimate yourself and get in, you know, get uh, get involved. But yeah, it just seemed that at, at, at one time, Solskjaer kind of lost a little faith in him. And towards the end of the season, whenever he did play, his performances kind of dwindled. He wasn't very confident on the ball. He was definitely looking for more of the safer passes instead of taking more of the riskier options, you know, and we just didn't really see the full version of Donny van de Beek that we saw at Ajax. And I'm hoping that next season, you know, he can kind of show off and showcase some of the quality in the player that he was. But this season, um, for the price tag we paid on him, he just did not live up to the expectations and did not perform um, the way that a lot of United fans would have hoped he would have performed given his kind of uh, stature in the game, being a young and -and up-and-coming player. Um, So for me, he has to be um, disappointing signing of the season for sure. Yeah, that's the thing about Donny van de Beek expectations that's kind of what really brought him down Mm -hmm. but also it was kind of rough for manchester united because they also brought in bruno fernandez they also had (laughs) you know dan james up there it's like he was coming into a position and also you know like greenwood uh, basically all the attackers like that's basically where he ideally go and not that position of mcsauce mcfred yeah that kind of position he doesn't want to play too defensive Mm -hmm. so it was kind of already going into a congested kind of starting 11 to even fight for in the first place and he, who knows, even like Juan Mata, <laughs> even about him, it's just, yeah. <laughs> the Donnie Van Bake, he was kind of fighting an uphill battle the whole season. So I was, and that was one of the signings too. I was like, man, I really wish Liverpool got him because, you know, Donnie Van Bake, he just had that kind of instinct in him too. He's just like right place, right time. Yeah. And that's kind of like his key attribute about him. Yeah. 
But for me, my most disappointing signing of the season is not really has to do with like expectations. Well, it kind of has to do a little bit, but it also has to do with just my affinity towards a certain player <laughs> that I, I spoke highly of last season. Two seasons. Just, for like two, two seasons, seasons in a row. The- like I, I basically have been talking about him since like season one of the podcast, but he just pooped the bed <laughs> when he finally made his big move this summer or last summer. And it was Rian Brewster. Yeah. Rian Brewster made his big money move 30 million pounds to Sheffield United to help a team that could barely score last season, get at least some goals, get some assists on the books to help the defense out because their defense was really good. It was very solid. Literally was the reasons why they were in that top half of the oh, table. Yeah. They would win a lot of games 1-0 and they definitely knew they could not do that again this season. It was not something they can just whip out and be like, all right, we're just going to be the 1-0 team every single season because you know one injury happens to that back line, which did happen. They're screwed mm-hmm. and they really needed Rian Brewster to carry. And Rian Brewster, he had a lot of potential as a Liverpool player in the academy. He was one of the top goal scorers, one of the most highly talked about prospects from Jurgen Klopp. But maybe that was all marketing because this season he had 27 appearances for Sheffield United, had zero goals and zero assists. And Sheffield United also gets relegated dead last with only 20 goals scored. Like a team that needed goals, he could not help him at all. And eventually yeah. he got benched and wouldn't even get subbed on to play. Yeah. Like that is insane. Like for a player to not even get as much impact as he did for being a big money signing, one of their most expensive signings, if not the most expensive signing of their club history. Yeah, it's rough. He couldn't do it. That's ru- that's and brutal. That was like a double a double stab for me because I'm like, man, I really like this kid. I, I felt like I felt like his uh just his his like Liverpool days were numbered when I think the I think it was the uh, the community shield where he missed the penalty. Um it, it it was a community shield, I think, where he like legit missed a penalty for Liverpool, and I think Klopp in his face was just say, "Yeah, this guy's gone." So and <laughs> he left, and you know, it just didn't perform. And now Sheffield are in a position where like, dang, they just spent this big cash on this player, and now we have to keep him at this point. Because mm-hmm. Sheffield, they don't have that much money. Like they put all their eggs, or not yeah. all of them, but like a huge chunk of them in this one into basket. this Rian Brewster basket, and it, and it was all rotten. <laughs> Maybe they can rejuvenate some of it. And they can. You know, regenerate some of that next season because they're going to be in the championship, a little lesser competition. Maybe Rian Brewster can find his new boots and become the next Josh Maja. But for now, it's just looking like one of the biggest busts of yeah. all time. Yeah, zero was, goal, zero assists. Come on, mate. Yeah, it was Come not, on, mate. What it the was, heck? <laughs> it was not. It was not a good look for Rian Brewster. And I guess that kind of leads it to, I, I guess our next award, most toasted player of the season, which I think last season ended up going to Keppa or David Luiz. I think Keppa mm-hmm. got it last Kepa. season. But this season, oddly enough, is going to another Chelsea player. And Tyler, I guess I'll, I'll let you take the raids at this one. So, yes, our our classic <laughs> phrase, toasted. Our player that we roast the most to the point that they're toast. That kind of rhyme. <laughs> you catch me out here dropping these rhymes. But <laughs> our most toasted player of the season that we naturally roasted, that we kind of thought about throughout the whole season, we picked was Timo Werner. Yeah. Because Timo Werner also kind of s- succumbed to the you know, issue of expectations. Mm-hmm. He came in as being one of the highest rated, you know, strikers in Europe and in, in the world even, where it's like, all right, wherever team he goes into, he's going to bring goals. But we saw in the at least the first half of the season, he could barely score. Like he would get so many chances, but couldn't finish any of them. 
And it got to the point where you'd be playing FIFA. It's like, man, my player just missed. He straight up just pulled a warner. <laughs> <laughs> he took nine he was shots and missed all nine. The man was the like, man yeah, has been off sides. Like literally, the anytime he plays, he's just off sides. This this is mm-hmm. you can count on him being off sides. Literally, if it really felt like a winger trying to play striker for most of the season. And it was like, man, Warner, you got this huge price tag. You got to do better than that. Yeah, he and, just you runs know, in a like straight line. He just runs in a straight line. And I kind of I kind of feel like we mentioned that at the very beginning of the season. In one of our earlier episodes, where it was like, yeah. man, all the tape on him kind of shows that he just, he just kind of runs in a straight line for RB Leipzig, and then he just gets a lot of chances. Yeah, doesn't not finish the most all clinical. of them, but he's he's not the most clinical. But I mean, in the Premier League, you kind of have to be clinical because you don't get that many chances. And yeah. sure enough, that exactly is what happened. Like he just <laughs> got so many chances, but then missed a ton. And Chelsea ended up having to rotate the front where it's like all right we're gonna put kai up there we're gonna put pulisic up there we're gonna put mason mount up there sometimes he's not even a striker <laughs> and, <laughs> and like yeah Werner like kind of shifts off to the wings sometimes mm-hmm. and i feel like he kind of found more of his footing at the end of the season he started getting more assists he started being a little bit more confident getting some clutch goals here and there but yeah he should have been in the contention for top goal score he yeah. should have been in that same realm of like at least patrick bamford but he didn't even live up to that and he would just miss some of the most open goals. It was like Fernando Torres level at Chelsea <laughs> kind of misses. I was like, what the heck is happening? Like he could score. I guess the some... strikers at Chelsea just are cursed if you're not Drogba. Unless you're Drogba. Exactly. I'm just like, man. <laughs> Warner. Even Chelsea fans are like, man, at least he has, like this other player is better finishing than Warner or something like that. Like literally it became a phrase. It's like, at least you don't have finishing like Warner. And that's <laughs> where it felt like the toast comes out. When you just get yeah. roasted enough, it's like, all right, you're the most toasted of the munch. Exactly. And lucky for Kepa, he didn't even play that much this season. So you would have yeah. got twice in a row. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. But there you go. Another Chelsea player gets most toasted player of yeah. the season. Timo so I Werner. guess moral of the story, just don't sign for Chelsea. And you have a good chance of not being toasted player of the season. <laughs> we like to say that. We, we told Pulisic, don't do it. But here we are. You know, going. We should have had toast for this yeah. season. But <laughs> some, next burnt season. Toast, some, yeah, some burnt really toast. Some really black burnt toast. But... Uh, unfortunately, we don't. I guess fortunately for our mouths too, we don't have we don't have to eat burnt <laughs> toast. But um, I guess going also onto the theme of disappointment. Now we're moving on to most disappointing team of the season. And for me, this one I am going to put this one out there. Tottenham Hotspur are for me are the most they are the most disappointing team in the season. And I'll tell you why because going into the season they had. The second season, Mourinho, they had Kane, they had Son, they added Hoiberg in the summer chance window. They signed Doherty, also from Wolves. You know, Endombele, they saw a revolution, Endombele coming in. They signed Gareth Bale on loan, the the return of Bale, the big guy, like the guy that was, that created, um, that brought Spurs so many great memories. Gareth Bale was back. They signed Sergio Regulon. Like, going into the season, Everything pointed to Tottenham being legitimate title contenders or getting really close to challenging for a title, but not only a title, but winning a trophy. Like it just seemed like they were going to win either Europa League, FA Cup, you you know, the Carabao Cup. They're going to win something. Excuse me, I'm knocked over the mic. That's how passionate I am about this. But literally everything they had, they even signed Joe Hart as a free agent to kind of add some more leadership in the back. And I know um, Hugo Lloris is their main goalkeeper, but Joe Hart was supposed to add that leadership and that, you know, He's been there. He does. He's done that. He knows how to win titles. But my gosh, what ended up happening? Mourinho gets sacked in the, literally a week before the Carabao Cup final. They lose the Carabao Cup final. They 
get knocked out of the Europa League by a team whose manager was in prison literally last week before their match. They get knocked out by that team. Um, Gareth Bale, you know, if you look at his season-ending stats, pretty decent, but overall didn't really provide that extra oomph. Deli Ali was missing for most of the season. Matt Dortry didn't end up being like that big of an impact. They ended up playing um, Serge Aurier both more often than not. And Nobele had a good season, but the biggest and probably the most soul-crushing for all Tottenham fans is they left the season without a trophy, and now they go into next season potentially, almost certainly, that they're going to be without Harry Kane. And that was probably the biggest blow to them, and I think that's why they're the most disappointing team of the season because not only did they not get the second-year Jose Mourinho bounce, they lost him. They lost a cup final that they've been so desperately looking for in terms of winning a cup, and to pile it on on top of that, Harry Kane, their biggest and best player, wants to leave the club and leave the club to go win trophies and compete in the major European competitions. And to me, um, that is why Tottenham are the disappointing team of the season. They've just been uh, a, a disastrous season for all Spurs fans. That's a really good argument. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, I was, I was like, man, maybe I should switch my answer. <laughs> but maybe my, like I didn't even think about that because my standards for Tottenham are just so low. I'm just like, I just know they're going to disappoint. And then even my friends that are Tottenham fans, they're still sad. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just how it is. I'm just you're a Tottenham fan. But I mean, you even at Christmas time, they were still in contention for the title. And then everything just poop hit the fan. And then it just went straight downhill. And sure enough, you know, Tottenham, <laughs> another disappointing season as per usual. But that's kind of why I didn't really pick them. I was just like, I know they're having a, one of the worst seasons of all time, but also... They're Tottenham. That's <laughs> who they are. But my pick is more kind of just from comparing this season to last season. It's a lot more simple than like as you just had a lot of evidence. Mine was not really too much evidence. It was just very much like, <laughs> wow, what a drop off. And that was Sheffield United. Yeah. Terrible Sheffield team. United, terrible team. Like they literally look like a completely different team this season <laughs> to the point where Chris Wilder, the manager of the past five years who brought him up from League One to League to the Championship to the Premier League to almost getting into European competitions in the Premier League last season Got to sack. getting dead last. They didn't get a win for the longest time. Like they kind of clutched some at the very end of the season to make it not look like they had that Derby County season where they finished with 11 points. But Man. Sheffield United finished with 23. It, it was that's so bad. <laughs> it is really bad. And it, to me, I was just genuinely shocked because I thought this season, because they signed. Um, uh, Ethan Ampadu on loan, who's a very um, highly rated center back, um, a, whale, a, a Welsh center back. Um, they signed him on loan. They obviously made the big, big signing of Rian Brewster. I thought that they were like, okay, I don't, I don't think they were going to achieve what they did last season, but I thought, okay, at least they're going to probably be in the Premier League. But my gosh, this season has been horrible, really bad, mm-hmm. very, very bad season. They also signed Aaron Ramsdale, who I still feel like it was not a very good signing, yeah. but he. Uh, apparently made it to the provisional squad of the yeah. Euros and he's probably like third string, fourth string, mm-hmm. but third string, fourth string keeper. I mean, even things like that. I was like, man, they're kind of making some signings that besides Rian Brewster, which I thought I was like, man, this is not really signings that will help keep them in the Premier League yeah. and losing Dean Henderson. I didn't think would be that huge, but it kind of really showed how much Dean Henderson carried that team. Yeah. I was like, holy cow, because this team is completely different. They dropped 12, places basically exactly from last season and 
now they're in a dumpster fire. They have no idea what direction the team's going to take. They don't know if they're going to rebuild. They don't know if they're going to continue on with as many players as it could. Who's going to leave the team yeah. to try to go to other Premier League teams? Relegation is never easy, but for right now, Sheffield, I don't even know if they're going to be able to fight back to try to get into the Premier League next season. Yeah, They're going to be like in a Sunderland situation where it's like, man, I don't know how they're going to do. And they had like a pretty decent fan base as well. It's kind of like, I don't think it's Sunderland level, but it's definitely one of the more popular, mm-hmm. bigger clubs that, you know, they finally made it back in the Premier League and boom, second season, they go straight down. And it wasn't even a question. It was just like win. Yeah. So Sheffield United, a big shock, a big surprise. I think a lot of people were anticipating they'd stay in the Premier League for at least a decent amount of time. But, you know, it turns really quickly and that's Sheffield United for you. Yeah. You know, uh, life comes at you fast. Life comes, life at, comes you at you fast. <laughs> so that, uh, you know, a somber note of that uh, disappointing team of the season. But I guess moving on to more happier awards um, to congratulate some players. Um, we have the best player outside the top six um, club award that we typically give out every season. Um, and for me, we're actually, we, the two players we picked are both from the same club, oddly enough. But for me, I'm picking goalkeeper Emmy Martinez uh, for Ashton Villa. He came in to Ashton Villa after leaving Arsenal. Um, he was an outstanding goalkeeper for Arsenal during Project Restart once Bernd Leno went out injured. And he basically carried on that same form. And he was one of the main reasons Ashton Villa have had such a great season because he's come up with clutch saves, um, he's just been an overall great goalkeeper. And I think um, if you're looking for anyone else for that in terms of, of just pure consistency and just adding just straight up solid performances, Emmy Martinez for me has been uh, been for me the, the go-to guy and the best player outside these uh, outside the typical top six clubs. I was surprised how well Emmy Martinez did. Yeah. Because when he was at his last few games at Arsenal he did really well there and we're just thinking it's like oh okay maybe just some good form he's actually good <laughs> and then it's like yeah he's actually good like I really hope that he can really help Argentina because he's an Argentinian goalkeeper and yeah. maybe he can get selected for that squad and help Messi finally maybe win something because <laughs> they're always missing the keeper I feel yeah. like and and defenders but you know I really think he is a big game changer for Aston Villa too because that'll help keep them in the Premier League for sure because before they had like the thumb Brad yeah. Guzon for the longest yeah. time and then they had Pepe Reina like Pepe as Reina. like a pro back he coming in <laughs> he's coming in last season as like an auxiliary goalkeeper to help exactly. save him. they're always struggling but now with Emmy Martinez it gives a little bit more of a commanding presence in the back something I feel like a player that could have could make a big move to a bigger club but mm-hmm. you know here he's finding his feet at Aston Villa but as you just mentioned my player for best player outside the top six Originally, I was going to pick Thomas Suchek, but then I was like, wait, he's top six now. That's kind of weird. <laughs> but it would be now my pick is also an Aston Villa. It is Jack Grealish. Jack Grealish, although he was injured for a third of the season. Yeah. The team completely changed when he got injured. Yeah. From when he played. So at the very beginning of the season, when he did play, they were fighting for the top four spots. Yeah. They were in that competition where it's like, what the heck? How are they up here with Everton? And they just kept going. And they had a lot of impact and a lot of leadership from Jack Grealish because he really brought up everyone else around him. It was kind of like a Ruben Diaz situation, except he put him in the front. Yeah. And <laughs> this player, he would attract so much attention that he would make it a lot easier for yeah, all the he, other players around him too. He gets hacked a lot. Yeah, he gets hacked a lot. It's kind of like Eden Hazard, where it's just like, man, how many fouls can one man he get? He also wears like those really not the long socks. 
So like he's like his <laughs> really short are, ones. Yeah, his shin is always just like or like his whole calf and stuff is always exposed. I'm like, man, he's really tough to be able to take that damage each yeah. week. This is the equivalent of like sagging in Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> Your pants is just like this low low cut socks. But that's Jack Grealish for you. He got six goals, twelve assists, and twenty six appearances. Literally, he played. He missed twelve games, and in of those twelve games, Aston Villa dropped out of the top European competition spots into you know still the top half of the table, yeah. but still just wasn't in that competition anymore. Yeah, and that conversation anymore. So I feel like having Jack Grealish really did change the team, and it really got a lot of eyes from a lot of other teams like in like Arsenal. It's like, does he go to a new club? Does he go, does he stay on his boyhood club, Aston Villa? Like, what does he do? Like these kind of conversations don't get spoken of like as highly if it's just some random, you know, good player. This is like a key player that I think will also make a huge impact for the England squad. He's grown a lot this season as well. There's been a lot of just for me, he's he's definitely um, because I know him and James Madison they're similar players, but I, I think um, Jack Grealish has shown that I, I think he, for me personally, I think he's a, be- a better player than James Madison in terms mm-hmm. of pure consistency and such. And I feel like compared to James Madison too, Jack Grealish took like a huge step up Yeah, to the point where it's just like, wow, he's not even like a huge prospect that's really talented. It's just like he's actually a really talented player. Yeah. And he's doing this for like uh, with a team that doesn't have, you know, likes of Vardy, uh, Iheanacho, Tielemans, you know. Like he's mm-hmm. the main guy. He's the guy that has to do everything. Then that has to start. It's not someone who can, you know, get subbed on in the 60th minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like, like Madison. So I think this kind of player alone, Jack Grealish, top yeah. player outside the top six. Yeah. For me. I, I like the pick. He, he's been very good. And, you know, shout out to him because, it, you know, even though Aston Villa is his boyhood club, he had a huge decision to make last summer when his contract was running up. And I, I know United... Um, we're very, very interested in him, and he decided to commit his future to Villa. And obviously, you know, he can still move, but, you know, kudos to him for staying at his boyhood club and also performing at a high level and even jacking up his price even more. So, you know, jack jacking up his price like Jack Wheeler <laughs> does. So great player, very, very good player. And uh, moving on to our next award, surprise team of the season, I'm sticking with a, a Leeds player or I guess I kind of ruined it right there. Leeds United are my surprise team of the season. Um, I think for them, as we saw this season, the, the three clubs that got promoted into the Premier League from the championship, West Brom and Fulham going straight back down. But Leeds took the Premier League by storm. And I was very, very impressed with them because Marco or Marcelo Bielsa, his style of basically everyone man marking, everyone has a person they have to mark. And it's just a straight up 11 v 11 man mark. High press, high intensity, attack basically 24-7, and they got blown out in a couple games. They lost a couple big, you know, 3-4 games, 4-3 games, 3-2 games, but he kept his style intact. He added some quality players, you know, in the summer transfer window, but they definitely made an impact in the Premier League, and they took the league by storm, and they were able to stay up and do decently well, like stay comfortably up in the Premier League. So for me, I think Bielsa... And I think Leeds United have done a fantastic job. So for me, they they are surprised because I knew they were going to be a good watch, but I just didn't think that they had it. They had, I knew they were going to stay up, but I didn't know they could take it, take the league by storm in this fashion. So for me, they they definitely have to be my surprise team of the season. Mm-hmm. It's very much like a Wolverhampton kind of yeah. level situation. Oh, yeah. Like, wow, they came out of nowhere. Exactly. But we'll see how long they can make that last because right now, you know, the Santo, the, 
manager of Wolves has announced he's leaving at the end of the season. So yeah. I don't know how much Wolves can continue that kind of stint. But, mm-hmm. you know, mini Portugal, we'll see how they do. But <laughs> for me, my pick for surprise team of the season is West Ham. It's something, it's a team we already kind of mentioned and kind of, you know, pranced about and gave flowers to, things like that. But, you know, once again, just to reiterate, West Ham, they're a team that are in the relegation zone battle last season. And then they're a team that are very much like Everton, just like a bunch of players that are kind of outcasted from other teams that had a lot of potential. They just never lived up to it. And, you know, David Moyes really brought out the most of all these players, even brought out some from the grave, like Jesse Lingard. And it was like, you know what? We're going to make something happen. We're going to get into European competition. And they actually did it. Yeah. I don't even know if that was their goal. Like, they, they, we got sad when they when we found out they weren't going to be the Champions League. And it was like, that wasn't even in the conversation of goal. This is like a stretch goal. If it, like, it was like a dream for them to even make it into a European competition, they would take Europa League all day. Yeah. But for them to even be fighting for Champions League, that was insane in itself. Yeah. So, I mean, not to make this a whole episode on West Ham, but, you know, that's my pick for surprise team of the season. I like I was potentially going to pick Sheffield just because they're surprised for the wrong reasons. Yeah. (laughs) Let's just keep it happy. We'll make it West Ham. Positive. I like that. I like that pick. I think um, you could have gone. There was a couple of teams that you could have picked, but I think West Ham are a solid a solid choice for this award. And moving on to, I guess, a, a fun one, goal of the season. Um, we mm. had some, I would say, a couple of special goals during this season. I think every Premier League season, there's always a couple that always jump out to you. And I'll lead it off here. Um, I think there was a couple of good ones that we could have picked. But for me, when I was looking back at it, I know the Allison goal has a lot of... Um, it's just an amazing moment because it's a goalkeeper scoring in literally stoppage time, the last kick of the game winning it to help secure Liverpool's chances of finishing in the top four, which they eventually did. But for me, in terms of just all out crazy goal of the season, I have to pick Eric Lamella's Rabona against Arsenal in the North London Derby. That goal was incredible. And I remember we literally spent, I think a solid, I would say a solid 10 or 12 minutes talking about the goal when it happened. And to me, the audacity to pull it off in that moment as Tyler mentioned, there's only a select few players that even have the kind of the, uh, I would say, cojones to even pull that off. Lamella is definitely in that ilk of just players that just doesn't care and will go for it. He pulled it off. It was a very clean, struck Robona that literally went through the legs of every player. And um, Bert Leno had no chance to, ha- had no chance to, you know, basically save it. So for me, it has to be the Rabona. It was just, um, just seeing that and seeing someone pull that off in that fashion was amazing. Mm-hmm. We'll probably never see something like that for a while, yeah. maybe a few decades, honestly. Like in this kind of situation, unfortunately, it was to no avail. Eric yeah, Lamella did get sent off card. in the same game. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they won that game either. Yeah, no, I they lost Arsenal that game won. as well. Those <laughs> were nothing. But, you know, that kind of crazy goal is very once in a blue moon. Like, no one, like, even a few seasons ago, you remember. There was Mkhitaryan scoring a scorpion kick and then, then a week Giroud. after Giroud scoring a scorpion kick. But this season, no scorpion kicks. Yeah. And so, no I Townsend, mean, like freaking rocket or no yeah. Townsend, like incredible volley or anything. These like are that. very, very rare goals to see. And like my, I w- I'll say an honorary pick real quick is Fernand Torres, his back oh, heel. Yeah. That like, like pseudo scorpion, like yeah. that crazy, like karate style kick. Flick mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah, against yeah, that's- Newcastle, it was kind of like Ibra esque, but yeah. it just came out of nowhere. I was just, it was like a no look, back heel mid air, yeah. kind of one touch flick over Dubrovka, 
to score. And I was like, what the heck was yeah, that? that was this is probably one. one of the hardest awards to really give because we don't have visuals. So we're just kind of like telling you <laughs> audibly what yeah. these goals were like. But in terms of difficulty, I was like, that literally you can't just, that's a goal that you can't do regularly. That's something like just, it's like one, one in a thousand. <laughs> Unless you're Fernand Torres, maybe it's like a little more frequent, but <laughs> I would say my pick, though, for goal of the season, Yush already mentioned, it might be a little bit of Liverpool fan bias, <laughs> but I will say it is Alison Becker's header win against West Brom, just because it was the 94th minute in the ni- in the fourth minute of added time. It was literally the last kick of the game, and it was literally like roll the dice. It was like Alisson had to score to keep Liverpool's top four chances alive. He had to do it, and... Sure enough, he gets the perfect header and saves Liverpool's season. Like that in itself, not only statistically for the table, saved their season, but also for morale overall. It really brought out everyone. It's like, all right, we actually have a chance of getting this, of getting top four and just keeping the streak alive. Because ultimately, Liverpool went on like a five-game winning streak to end the season and won out and actually got third place in the Premier League, which is still insane to even say. But that kind of opportunity is... And that kind of moment is something I actually probably won't ever forget. Because like even when we're like 50 years from now, it'd be like, remember that one time the goalie scored the yeah, game winner crazy. and saved their season? Like, that's so rare. Like, that's something that you'll just kind of think about forever. It's just in everyone's memories. Like, man, I remember that header from Ali Sundbecker. And that's why that is my goal of the season. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like it. I think it's a, I think it's a really good pick because it was just like that moment that moment in itself, like with everything, when you think about it, it just adds to it. And like Tyler said, that's one of those, well, you know, in a couple of years, you'll just kind of remember it's like, yeah, that goal was insane. I remember where I was when that happened. So it was a really great goal. And uh, I think it's a worthy um, pick for goal of the season. So uh, moving on to the next award, we have player to watch next season and same player that I pick for most disappointing signing of the season. I'm picking him for this one is Donny van de Beek. I think next season, um, given what United will spend in the summer transfer window, which I think they'll they'll spend a decent amount. I think we'll see a really, really revolutionized and more motivated Donny van de Beek. I think he'll be more comfortable being it is second season in England, second season working under Solskjaer. I think Solskjaer will want to get the best out of him. So I think we're, we're going to see next season a very impactful and a very, um, yeah, just a very impactful Donny van de Beek that, that will show off a lot of what he could do um, what he was doing at Ajax and showed off at Old Trafford in Manchester United colors. So for me, it has to be Donny van de Beek. Man, you're already writing the comeback story for Donny van de Beek already. Exactly. The red carpet's already out. Already. Everything's laid up. Now it's just van de Beek's got to do it. Yeah. And I have faith in him too. I really like him. So hopefully he lives up and gets his <laughs> opportunities at least. But for me, my pick for player to watch from next season, and I feel like this is the award that you know, Yush and I, whenever we do pick, it's typically a pretty high chance. So like, yeah, they do I, well. Like, like season one, I remember I picked Diego Jota, and like this dude is living yeah. now at Liverpool. So, and then I picked uh, Harvey Barnes. He did, he's doing all right. Yeah, yeah. Leicester. But I just went off on a tangent. But anyways, player to watch <laughs> for next season for my pick. It kind of leads to why I kind of mentioned that. But it's Joe Willick, the Arsenal lone knee that was at Newcastle this later half of the season because. He's a youth player. He's a player that had a lot of potential for that team, that Arsenal squad, but just couldn't really get that starting 11, that kind of impact that, you know, an Emil Smith-Rowe is having, a Martinelli's having, a, I guess even an Odegaard is having. Yeah, or Saka. So he, 
yeah, Sokka especially. So he didn't really have that opportunity to really get that impact. So he went to Newcastle, a team that's just fighting relegation. Basically, we were on track to get relegated until Fulham pooped the bed. Yeah. But Joe Rulick, he has a clutch gene that I haven't seen in many other players where you sell him on and maybe like 10 minutes left, 30 minutes left. I feel like he always scores. Yeah. I feel he, like he always he, finds a way to ruin the other team's dreams where it, even against Liverpool, he scored. I was like, what the heck? Joe Willick. The stat that was insane was um, he he scored in seven consecutive Premier League games, but in his sixth Premier League game where he scored six times in a row, um, that's he's literally the youngest Premier League player ever to score in six consecutive Premier League games. Um, and he made it seven on Championship Sunday when he scored again. So he mm-hmm. just finds a way. He has a knack. Um, a knack for just getting in the getting the ball in the back of the net, which is important for Arsenal because they yeah. need goal scorers and creators. He's not even like a striker or like a center attacking mid. He's a straight up CM. He's yeah. a straight center central <laughs> midfielder. And yeah, he can't play more attacking, but I feel like he's slightly more box to box. But he has that knack to be in the right spot at the right time, kind of like Van de Beek. Yeah. But sure enough, he's actually finishing his chances and getting more opportunities. So maybe Van Bank might go to what Newcastle. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but Joe Willock, he's is we got a little taste of him this season at Newcastle. And I'm very interested to see how he does because if Arsenal have him and he does the same thing yeah. off the bench, but instead starting, that's pretty promising. Yeah, I feel like that's they, something they don't have Ceballos anymore, too. He could take yeah. over that Ceballos role and just take over the Ceballos spot. Yeah, he's not as creative, but I mean someone like this, that's that's an intangible that you can't really mm-hmm. find in many other players. Yeah. The clutch gene, the the Dame time, Damien Lillard yes. kind of gene where you can just score from when you need them most. Yeah. So I feel like Joe Willick is one to look out for for next season. Yeah, I really, I was really jealous when he had that because I was like, dang, that's a really good pick. I wish I had that one. Um, <laughs> I, I also think that Joe Willick will be a a really, really good player for Arsenal next season. I, I'm pretty sure they're going to keep him. They're, they'd be foolish not to. Mm-hmm. I think he'll play a really big role for the Gunners next season and hopefully getting them back to um, maybe challenging for top four again or getting back into European competition and such. So he's definitely a player that I think is well worth uh, watching as well. But finally, our, fa- our final reward, um, the biggest one of them all, is the Premier Pod Player of the Season Award. And... I guess I'll, I'll, me and Tyler are sharing the same player. We're g- giving it to the same player for this one to, I guess, wrap it up in overall player. Um, is Bruno Fernandes, Manchester United midfielder. Bruno, um, I think, you know, there's a couple other players that could have gotten this award. But for me, if I'm speaking as a United fan, his impact in terms of the amount of goals he scored this season and the assist and the creativity and the imagination and his leadership and the fact that he's he's the type of player that can bring everyone else's playing level up. Literally, you can look at the stat sheet. That is incredible. But the intangibles that he brings that is not on the stat sheet can't go unnoticed. He is just a wonderful player. And, and he has just been the signing of the season, even when we signed him in January of, of last season. He's just been such an impactful player and such a good player for United. And it's just... Uh, it's just hard to imagine this United team without him because without him, they definitely would be missing a lot of the creativity, a lot of the um, goal scoring, everything that Bruno brings that we kind of take for granted now because we see him every week. It, this team is just nothing. It's not the same without him. And he's just been a fantastic player. And I can't imagine giving this award to anyone else. He's just been so impactful for United that for me, he just has to be player of the season. 
Mm-hmm. And he's unanimously a player that every Manchester United player or player and fan likes because it kind of it kind of really stuck out to me when I was on Twitter once. And then I saw a video of his daughter like holding onto his leg. And he's like, I got to go to I got to go to work. I got to go play. And the daughter's like, no, don't leave. And then the first comment I saw in that post was like, is like, hey, girl, let him go. We need him <laughs> to freaking win. Without him, we suck. So literally, like those kind of players, those kind of like that player in itself doesn't really grow on trees. It's very much like a Jack Grealish, Ruben Diaz kind of situation as well, where it's like if you take that player out, it's a whole different kind of team. Mm-hmm. It's a player that really brings out the most of everyone else. And even statistically, too, he's got 18 goals, 11 assists this season in the Premier League. Granted, a lot of them were penalties, but <laughs> he was basically automatic at a penalty spot, which is not too common as well. Yeah. Occasionally, you got people who miss. Even like Lewandowski misses every once in a while. You got Sergio Aguero trying to panenka and still missing. <laughs> so for Bruno Fernandes, he always gets it. And maybe I jinxed him now since it's automatic. But I mean, that kind of player in itself, like he really makes an impact. He takes the long shots and scores too. He, he can do anything out of nothing. And that's a player that really, when both Yush and I kind of look at him and we think, yeah, like he's good. He definitely changes the whole team. He definitely is one of the best players in the Premier League right now, if not the best. He actually is the best. We gave him the award. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, like that and stuff was like, yeah, there's not even a question. He was not injured. He made no injuries. It's crazy. He, Stamina like is he, incredible. Like his endurance, like he can run for days. Exactly. And then when you see the Manchester United team without him, when he has to get benched for, you know, a Europa League match or for an FA Cup match, it's like, man, that's a whole different team. Like, what the heck is this? Yeah. <laughs> so, like, they always need him. And this is a player that I feel like will be a leader for that Manchester United team for a long time now. Mm-hmm. And that is, I'm very jealous that Manchester United got him. Ever yeah, since re- the day y'all got him, I was like, man, that's yeah, a really like, good. I wish Liverpool got him. <laughs> I'm like, man, that's a really good one. Yeah, I, even enough. Tyler knew like since day one. He was like, yeah, this guy's gonna be good. <laughs> I just like long shot to, or plays that takes long shots, and I was like, man, that's one of them. Yeah, and this, I didn't know he had all this in his locker too. I was like, what the heck? Yeah, this guy's like De Bruyne. Yeah, literally on the same level. I feel like this season um, has shown that he can be on the same level as a Kevin De Bruyne in terms of being that good and that consistently good and being that impactful. There's very few players like that in the Premier League. And for luckily for United fans like myself, Bruno is one of them. Um, you know, you, there's very few players of that ilk. Like you have a Van Dyke, a Bruno, a Kevin De Bruyne, you know, a Harry Kane. Very, very, very few players in the Premier League that can have that impact. And Bruno is one of them for, for United. But man... That is uh that is our last award of the uh, of our no, uh, annual Premier Pod Awards. Um, it was funny we were talking about we should come up with like a name like you know how the office has like the Dundies like <laughs> WWE's got like the Slammies and stuff. We'll, we'll come up with a name, but um, the PPs, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that 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 is the I guess like that that literally is the final award of the uh, of the the Premier Pod Awards, which is crazy because um, kind of looking back at it. Um, this season three, like this is literally the last episode of season three, which is crazy because if you go back to season one, our premier pod awards, we didn't even actually have a Google sheet. That was like when we we're still writing on pieces of paper for our outline. So we still to this day don't know what our actual awards are for that show unless we go back and re-listen to the entire, I think it's literally episode 36. The title is Pep is Salty is our, is the title, but yeah, it's just been a crazy, it's been a crazy season three. Like we, Tyler and I were talking that this season 
compared to season one and season two. Obviously, season two, because of COVID, we had to take a big break. But this season, apart from a couple weeks, we've consistently been going at it this entire season. So it's been a it's been a long, you know, it's been a grind, but it's been fun, you know. Um, each each week coming out here to record and sharing our thoughts about the Premier League and everything. And we're very thankful that, you know, all of you have decided to come along in this journey and listen to us each week just bantering about the Premier League and hearing our sadness like myself today about United losing out on the Europa League final. We do appreciate everyone that has followed us in this journey, you know, from season one if you have. But obviously this current season, um, considering it's just been such a crazy, compact um, just congested season. And I guess before we send it off, um, I guess before we end on our, our final note, there is a big final going on this Saturday. It is the Champions League final. It is the final game of the European domestic club season, our club schedule before we head off to international um, Euros and such. It is Chelsea versus Manchester City in the Champions League final. Quick, I guess, score prediction as we always do. Oh, this is a tough one because I really don't want either club, neither club to win. But if I had to pick, I'd rather Chelsea win than Man City win their first Premier, or win their first Champions League title because I won't hear the end of it. So I'll just go Chelsea winning. Oh, this one, this game is probably going to be really boring. So I'm going to go. I, I think they're going to win. Um, in a not a penalty shooter. I think they'll end up squeaking like a two-one win, two-one victory out of this. For this final as well, I don't want either team to get a Champions <laughs> League title. That's why I'm like, man, I don't want to watch this. It's like, man, I know it's it's great for the Premier Pod because yeah. this is literally two Premier League teams, but it's just like, man, both of our rivals. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like seeing Alabama and Florida in the national championship yeah, as just, Georgia students. It's like, all right, no, this is disgusting. But or I guess no, like usually you don't see Alabama or Alabama's always in it. So I guess it'd be like South Carolina or something. I don't know. Yeah. But anyways. For this final, I'm going to be slightly opposite. I feel like I know less Man City fans as friends. I don't really know that many people that support Man City. Yeah. And we'll see which one of our friends becomes a bandwagon (laughs) after this final. But I think right now also they have a little bit more heart going into it. They got Sergio Aguero kind of his send off. He's like, I want to make sure they get a Champions League before I leave. And this this is it. Like literally it's against a very young Chelsea side that couldn't do it against Leicester. Pooped the bed against Aston Villa and were just kicked into fourth place because of Tottenham. Like they literally have not done anything by themselves successfully no. <laughs> at the very end. They really have been really doing terribly at the very end. They've been and poor. I feel like, yeah, they've been really poor uh, compared to when Tuchel first came in. They had a lot of good form. Yeah. But right now they're just, they're not in great form. They don't look too confident. They don't really look like they have the right formula. While Men City, in the meanwhile, they're like, all right, we're here to win it. And then we got the players. We got some of the best players in the league now. So and it's not like potential. It's just like literally right now. Yeah. So I think Men City will win this. I think it'll be pretty close as well. I think it'll be... I, I kind of want to say a 1-0. But I feel like Men City's got a little bit more than that. I Maybe 2-0. I'll go 2-0. Oh, man. Um, 2-0. Yeah, I, we were both predicting this game being a little bit boring because... Um, all English final. It doesn't set up to be a very entertaining game, but I'm hoping that uh, guy. I, it's so weird saying I'm hoping. I think that Chelsea. I'll just say that I think Chelsea will win a two-one scrappy victory, and Tyler's going like a two-nil City demolition of Chelsea on the biggest mm-hmm. stage. Um, so yeah, it won't be as beautiful as you know the Liverpool <laughs> Tottenham match where Liverpool 
beautifully won that game. It was one of the <laughs> best finals of this millennium. But, you know, I think for either of these two teams, it'll be it'll be all right. It'll just yeah. be a <laughs> it'll just be a, yeah. Like, we'll watch it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. None of us will be cheering like, oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, it'll be that, straight that, neutral. Yeah. Be like, eh. Where's the point where we just hate both teams? It's just like, all right, I guess yeah. we'll be neutral. This is it. But yeah, those are our predictions for the Champions League final. But that um, kind of wraps up season three, episode 19, 119 for us. As we always say, if you want to, if you're listening to this podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, there is a rating function that if you, if you want to leave a rating or review for us, that helps us out because it helps get this podcast out to more people. But um, as we always say, if you don't want to do that, that's totally fine. They, just taking the time to listen to us during this entire season has been more than enough. But if you want to share this with a podcast, share this podcast with any one of your friends that's interested in soccer, that is also very appreciative. And you can also give us a follow at The Premier Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Premier Pod, where you can find the video versions of this podcast if you want to, if you like to see our faces and the jerseys we wear each episode. But um, other than that, that kind of wraps up season three, episode 119 for us. Thank you once again, everyone, for following us during this entire um, journey of this Premier League season. We are definitely appreciative and we can't wait to come back for season four when of the return of the Premier Pod. So like we said before, thank you again for everyone for taking the time to listen to us each and every week. We appreciate, we appreciate it. And hopefully um, you guys enjoy this one. Thank you, guys. Peace. Peace.